Welcome once again to True Crime on Easy Street. I know I don't sound like it, but this is Kelly Turner. Yeah, I have a sinus infection. This is the sinus infection edition of uh, True Crime on Easy True Street. True Crime on Easy Street. We're coming to you from Easy Street Restaurant Bar and Performance Hall. I'm Kelly Turner. I have a sinus infection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Scott Ryder, and I'm on some medication that I can't remember the name of for the same thing that you have. Well, I'm Katie Givens, and I haven't been to the doctor since I got my COVID shot, so I think I'm all right. All right, well, well good for you. Yay, good us. You. Yep. Mm-hmm. Two out of three ain't bad, <laughs> or actually is bad in this case. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I promise this is not COVID. I've had COVID, and I've also been vaccinated. So I have okay. been vaccinated as well. Please go do that. <laughs> Are you telling me? No, I'm telling I'm everybody. Vaccinated. I'm oh, telling everybody okay. to go do all that. All right, all right, all right. This is this is truly the summertime sinus cold crap. But we're going to get to some shout outs. You're going to get a very snotty shout out here. <laughs> Let me just <laughs> Let's just get that started right. Um thank you for the wonderful review. Sleepy mom number 4, Joy. We thank all know you. who that is, right? <laughs> we all know who that is. Thank you so much. She loved the episode about Mentone, the the Mentone episode. Episode 11. Is that uh, Hayward Bissell? Yep. Yes, that was yours. That's yeah. been her favorite so far, she says. Aw. I know. Well, that's cool. I mean, that's we awesome. all worked very hard on that one, as we do on every one of these things that we do. And so, you know, we try to get the facts right as best we can. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, we, I thought we all did a really good job you on nailed that one. So it. thank you, Joy Allen. You nailed it. And uh, thank you for the great review on Apple Podcasts, Connie Geimer. I think that's right. Geimer? I think so. Yep. And I apologize. That's how I, we're going to say it. If I did not say your, ne- your last name correctly, I apologize. We will know in her next but review if we did. Thank you. Thank you for the, 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 hey, she loves the on this date section, Scott. That's oh, also my that. favorite part. Yep. Yep. It is. And uh, Kim Lambert, thank you for the five star review and the lovely comments. She is one of the OGs. That's, that's the title of her comment, but, but it's also very true. OG? Yeah. Yeah. Original. She was she she has been an original True Crime on Easy Street fan from the beginning. So thank uh, well, you, yeah, all the, the live shows. Thank you so much. We also had a comment from Kevin Green uh, talking about how great the live show was. We're glad you came out. And yes, good yeah. to see you, Kev. And he came too. Can I tell the story? It's very short. Yeah, I'm doing the stand up comedy thing on Thursdays, and Kevin and Josiah and Daniel Johnson came to see me last Thursday, and. I didn't get a lot of feedback from them after the show, but they did show up. <laughs> Scott, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? You're doing stand-up. Yes, and not very well. <laughs> Ask anybody who was there last Thursday, including Kevin Green. Oh, my. I'll right. have to make it out to one of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Every I'll be Thursday, there Thursday, somewhere in Fort Payne. It moves around. I'm still, it's like they don't want me to come. They move it from one place to another every time, so I'm you not sure. I don't get the texts. I just find, I just walk around knocking on doors and bars and, hey, is it here tonight? Nope. Keep going. And they're, and then you find the right one, and they're like, oh, oh yay, Scott's here. He found us. Yeah, mm-hmm. something like All that. All right, come on in. Yeah. You can go last. Anyway. Sorry. <laughs> I would have never thought of that if you hadn't said Kevin Green. Katie, so that's your fault. My bad. (laughs) We apologize. (laughs) To everyone. To all of our listeners. All five of you now. I thought we decided last week that we had at least a dozen listeners. Do we? That's exciting. If you do the math. I think it's... Super excited. It's over a dozen, I think. All right. Okay. So last week, I talked forever and a day about the Reverend 
Thank goodness my part was last week. Yeah, <laughs> this week. Divine yeah. intervention. Yes, yes. I might leave if that was today. Uh, you would definitely hit pause. <laughs> <laughs> Cut this crap off. Can she stop gurgling? Um, all right. So this week is part two of this. What are we? What this case that we're doing? This is we're we're going by the book Furious Hours as our as our reference. Yes, by it's Casey great, Sepp, uh, yeah. the former and maybe current New York time uh, New Yorker. Uh, contributor and the author of this book from 2019 and New York Times bestseller. She wrote a fantastic book about this Willie, Reverend Willie Maxwell case that yes. you this nailed the first part of last really week. Really great. Very well done. And really great book. Um, we've used a, a few other references here and there, but we've we've really focused a lot on the details in this book. And we are not giving away all the details. We can't, there's no way to hit on all of these details. Yeah. So yeah. get this book for yourself and read it. Furious Hours by Casey Sepp. But this week, what are we talking about? Well, one of the uh, three key players in this story was the local attorney. And since Katie is not a lawyer, that makes her the most qualified person to handle this portion of this story. So we're both going to sit back and you do your sniffles with your tissues. (laughs) Out of the mic. And I will clear my throat and we will listen to Katie tell us about Tom Radney. So we left off last week at the funeral. Mm-hmm. Of the daughter of the Reverend and o- Ophelia. Ophelia. Thank you. Sorry. Ophelia Burns. Yep. And uh, he was, one of his other daughters said, You murdered my sister and now you're going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And before anybody could respond, a man sitting behind him pulled out a gun and shot the Reverend three times in the head. And that's where we stopped. Yeah. I mean, it. It was a cliffhanger. It was the very definition of a cliffhanger. And it, when we did that at the live show, and they were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I think we pissed people off when we did it at the I live think they're, show. they're trying to figure out, how is this a three-parter? And I'm like, well, then you just got to come back mm-hmm. and figure it out. Or listen. You can listen. You'll know two weeks from now. Mm-hmm. I was literally getting the phones out of people's hands in the audience. Oh, were they Googling And it? subscribing oh, okay. to our podcast. <laughs> Well, that's for good, them, right? but you know that's that's the kind of service we offer. That was the point. You won't get on. that from another podcast. No. Yeah. All right, Katie. When half our audience doesn't know how to listen to a podcast, that no, is that, but we that will help them. Yep. If you need help, just let us know. We will help you. Don't ask me. So, well, let's back up. Let's let's go a little bit before this shooting happened at the funeral. So, who is Tom Radney? Tom Radney, as you can remember from part one, was the attorney who helped Willie Maxwell win all his insurance money or the majority of it in his insurance claims. He's also the man who defended him in his first and only murder trial for the murder of his first wife, Mary Lou Maxwell. Like I said, Willie Maxwell was only accused of one crime, one crime only, the murder of Mary Lou Maxwell, and he was acquitted of that crime as he was represented by Tom Radney. And then you remember that there goes on to be several more suspicious deaths but he is never charged with any other crimes and he does not have to hire Tom for any other criminal cases only the civil cases to deal with his insurance money because strangely he has insurance policies on all of these people who mysteriously end up uh, in a car on highway 9 yes Kelly is giving us the thumbs up because she is leaning away from the mic (laughs) and blowing her nose into a tissue 
Tom is a liberal politician in the South, which is um, not not common. He is a Democrat. Well, there were still Democrats yeah. in Alabama in the 70s. In the 70s, it, Alabama hadn't totally swapped over to a Republican state because the party, the Democratic Party, didn't mean exactly what it means today. So he decides he wants to run for the Alabama House of Representatives. The seat that he he wins the election and the seat that he wins is reapportioned out of existence. <laughs> so, bless him, he decides <laughs> to run again for this seat that now is combined into, instead of this one little county he was running in, it's now represents three different counties, which is District 16. It doesn't, that doesn't matter to the story, but District 16. And it now includes Macon County. Macon County in Alabama is home to Tuskegee Institute, which right. is a historically black college. It was founded by Booker T. Washington. Mm-hmm. And the majority of the voters in Macon County are black. Thanks to the Voting Rights Act in the 60s, that now means 7,000 out of 11,000 registered voters in Macon County are black. He's the first candidate in the 16th district to ever run on a majority, uh, to ever run in a majority black county. And that didn't bother Tom because like he's liberal. He's not, he's not racist. He's not out here, you know. That's his wheelhouse. Yeah. As a Democrat in the 70s. In mm-hmm. Alabama. Yes, exactly. He's gonna he's running for the black vote. And his opponent, whose name is Runt O'Daniel, we just have all the names in this story. <laughs> Runt ran on the segregationist vote. So he's running on, hey, we don't want this liberal to win and push integration. You know, we we're segregationists here. He's backed by George Wallace, which if you know anything about Southern history, George Wallace was the man who stood on the steps of the University of Alabama and tried to keep the black students from entering. He was very, very racist. It was a, he's a big part of Alabama history. Yes. Fun fact about George Wallace, during his first race for governor, he was endorsed by the NAACP. He lost that race mm-hmm. and blamed the rest, blamed that entire loss on the fact that he had the black support. Well, and you remember when we talked about what happened in uh, way down yonder on the Chattahoochee when he eventually, Wallace, lost the 58 gubernatorial election to John Patterson. He had that famous awful quote. I think I said it exactly the same way last time, and I'm not going to say the quote again, but he yes. felt like he, uh, he lost the segregationist vote, and he was going to make sure that he never did that again. Yes, if if you read this book, it has that quote in it, but we're we are not going to repeat. We're not that saying here. that here. But yeah, so this is the same event in history that has taken George Wallace on his tirade at, of a, as a racist and a segregationist. So in the runoff, Tom and Tom and Runt are in the election and the only way that Runt can beat Tom is to force a runoff because Tom is set to win. He's got this, he's got the black vote. He's got the votes. So Runt recruits a third candidate in this election to run against him and Tom to split the vote so that Tom doesn't, can't get enough votes to win outright and he forces a runoff. So in the runoff, Runt can go around telling everyone, well, you know, Tom won the black vote. Do you really want to, vote for someone who's won the black vote. So he takes all his white votes away from him and Runt wins the election. Typical Alabama politics. So basically what happened to Wallace in his governor election, but this doesn't turn Tom into the person that it turns 
Wallace into. So Tom continues on in politics. He is a part of the Democratic National Convention. He is a supporter of the Kennedys, which is also not popular in Alabama. Uh. Tom's family ends up getting death threats for this because he is a very charismatic individual. He ends up on national TV at the Democratic National Convention vying for the Kennedys. This is after a JFK assassination, and he's wanting... He wants Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy, yeah. Yeah, this is after JFK and RFK have both been assassinated. So the the final push, the last brother, the last Kennedy brother would have been... uh, Ted Kennedy. Yes. And who, who was not running for office. He had not put himself up for office. He was right. not interested at the time. But Tom's on national television telling everyone we need another Kennedy in office. And that gets him death threats from the residents of the state of Alabama. They're threatening his wife when his children answer the phone at home. They don't care who's answering the phone. They're threatening. They're cussing. They're, you know, telling him he needs to get out of town. And he promises his wife Madeline, that he is that he's out of politics. He's not going to run for any more political office. He's going to just, you know. I mean, he was concerned for his family's he was. safety and well-being because of the extreme response that his liberalism got in Alabama in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So he bows out of politics only to about a year later decide to run for lieutenant governor. Long story short, he loses that race as well. So he goes into private practice and starts a very, very big private practice in Alexander City. He's right there at the courthouse. He had an office in the courthouse at the time, and then he built this office next door to the courthouse, which they ended up labeling the zoo. Apparently, it was just busy, busy, clients in and out all the time. He kind of charged on the good old boy system. You know, if, if you could pay, he charged you, he charged you high prices. If you couldn't pay... You know, you may owe them in corn or tomatoes or some other pigs. barter, yes. some other trade uh, trade in barter. Mm-hmm. He he didn't turn you away, and so he didn't turn Willie Maxwell away. That was part of that barter system we talked about. How he got part of his life insurance money as payment, which I think Kelly mentioned it was half, which is you know that's about normal usually. A, a, personal injury attorneys and all they'll charge anywhere from 40 to 50 percent just depends on what okay. they what they can so every time to agree to. tom radney helped willie maxwell not go to jail for the mysterious death that it turned out he had an insurance policy on the victim mm-hmm. on he got his share of that yes oh yes let's rewind back to the funeral the man who shot willie maxwell's name is robert burns Robert Burns stood up in the funeral, shot Willie Maxwell three times, was promptly arrested, confessed to the crime. In the car on the way to the police station. In the car on the way to the police station. His brother looks at him and says, we're going to hire Big Tom. Big Tom is Tom Radney. He has, there, he has a son named Tom, so as soon as he had his son, they, he was named Big Tom from then on out. Big Tom will get you out of this. Don't worry. We're going to hire Big Tom. Now, to most people, this would seem strange because, like I said, Tom Radney represented Willie Maxwell his whole life for everything. And then the first thing they do is hire him to represent Robert Burns in this murder trial. But if you're the best in town, where else are you going to go? So Tom Radney prepares for the trial of his life. How am I going to get 
a man who shot someone in front of hundreds of people, confessed to the crime on the way to the police station. How do I keep him from going to prison? Well, and he shot someone that Tom has spent his entire life making look good. I mean, his whole, you know, when he represented the reverend, he had to make him look very good in order to get all of this life insurance. And so he spent all this time. And so now, what is your angle? How how do you make a jury uh, have sympathy for murdering somebody that you've talked about I mean, like, do you, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, what I'm saying? In, it's like, in glowing it's terms, weird. for over a decade, yeah. you've convinced local juries this guy didn't do anything wrong. That he needs to get this money now. Now the guy that shot him and killed him. Now you're going to have to say, well, he needed killing. I mean, like, what's your angle there? What is your? I'm interested to see what uh, the uh, the story is that they're mm-hmm. going to be selling in this trial. Katie. Oh, yeah. No, that's, ab- that's absolutely what <laughs> no every- everyone's thinking. He's like, well, so do you, do you admit, you know, that you don't, you didn't believe anything he ever said? Do, I mean, are you saying that you agree with the voodoo rumors? I mean, did he know about the voodoo? He, cause he was in his house. He's, you know, he saw it all. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Now, what about the why of it all? Why did Robert Burns shoot Willie Maxwell? This random person at this funeral, or was he random? Robert Burns, you may recognize the name Burns. The current Mrs. Maxwell was Ophelia Burns. The former Ophelia Burns, who was the person who was supposedly involved in the murder plot of Willie Maxwell's first wife. Right. Right? Exactly. Okay. Ophelia Burns was married to Robert Burns's brother nathaniel burns and so nathaniel's the, you know, this they would they would all have been family so what surely would be robert's niece surely the 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 last of the alleged willie maxwell victims the 16 year old daughter the funeral the girl whose funeral they were attending that gotcha. day would have been robert's niece and his wife stated in the trial that he was just distraught over it when he when she was killed, he just he was convinced that all the nieces and nephews were next, and they were going to lose every one of their family members, and that they were all absolutely terrified of the reverend. That he was going to get them all. That he was one by one going right. to get them all. So he is indicted by a grand jury in Tallapoosa County. He has a ten thousand dollar bond, and he makes bond. The judge in the case is Judge Avery, and then there's two attorneys. That will go over. They're both named Tom. <laughs> You've got Tom Radney, person we've been talking about this whole time. And then the district attorney is Tom Young. Fun fact, Judge Avery beat Tom Young in the last election for the judge's seat. So they've been in contact throughout their whole career as well. And, you know, Tom Radney, you know, he's represented more murder cases than anyone in this count, in this town. Because everyone comes to him and hires him. And you would think there wouldn't be that many murder cases in Little Alexander City, but, you know. Well, I was thinking that, but I didn't want to say it. But it sounds like he has had more than his fair share of murder cases because he's got this reputation as someone who, if you get into trouble, Tom Radney can get you off. But how does Tom Radney pull this one off? Because, like I said, he's, he's represented Willie forever. How can he just turn around and say that, you know, you can, how can you use the he just needed killing defense? I kind of... 
<clears throat> agree with Robert, though, that uh, everybody else was next. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm convinced that the Reverend was responsible for all of these murders. And that's my opinion. Okay, so that's allegedly. Mm-hmm. Okay, I get allegedly. that. He was not. None of this can be proven now. But I completely understand him thinking, oh, they're all next. Well, there is a Pulitzer Prize winning novelist who agrees with you, and we'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) So, Tom Radney decides that he is going to go with the insanity plea. I I like that. Mm -hmm. Plead not guilty by reason of insanity. They have two expert witnesses that come in, and they do an evaluation on Robert Burns. Throughout this summer, they go to trial fairly quickly from the time he is indicted to the time the trial happens. And during, during this few months period, he is evaluated by a man named Julian Woodhouse. Julian is like Kelly. He is not a doctor. Ah, <laughs> Good for him. Yeah, not quite. <laughs> he has, um, he's got all his degrees, but he has not done his dissertation for his PhD. So he works at East Alabama Mental Health Center in Opelika. And during the trial, Radney keeps trying to call him Dr. Woodhouse. Tom Young, the district attorney, is having a fit this entire time. He's like, quit giving him more credentials than he's got. This is not a doctor. How can you even bring this as an expert witness? He's not a doctor. He's not a doctor. But what Woodhouse has, he's got all the qualifications to be a doctor besides doing his dissertation. He's not finished. He does, they do allow him in as this expert witness and he does his evaluation on Burns. And he decides that when Burns pulled the trigger, he was suffering from disease of the mind, which prevented him from being able to choose from right and wrong. He says that what he thinks he experienced was irresistible impulse and that he added that his diagnosis would be transient situational disorder. Sounds like temporary insanity. Exactly. Like in that moment, he was insane. They, they are not claiming that he currently suffers from any mental illness, any mental disease. But in the moment that he pulled the trigger, he could not help but do so. It's now a good time for us to bring up the fact that when we did the Hayward Bissell case just a couple of weeks ago, that we established the fact that that is a a plausible defense according to the law in the state of Alabama. Mm-hmm. But if this case had taken place in Georgia, it's right? Not the, well, it's not, not it's, the same. It's the same defense. It's a different punishment. Okay. All right. There you go. And, or different sentence, I guess I should say. Well, I think this man saved a lot of lives, if you want to know my opinion. Mm-hmm. When he pulled that trigger, he, there's, I mean, you know, we can't measure that, but. Yeah. Do you, from what I told you guys last week, is there any... Do you think this man was going to stop doing what he was doing? If he was the one doing it, no. I don't think whoever did it. <laughs> <laughs> the not a lawyer, of course. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with all this, so I'm just going to move on. Okay, second expert witness is a Dr. Francis Goodrich Gunnels. The DA immediately... Say, say that name again, please. Dr. Francis Goodrich Gunnels. Were you trying to catch her in a tongue twister? No, that is... Because that's the, what it sounded like. The names yeah. involved Oh, in there's been case. some nutty names in this mm-hmm. thing. It's like a work of... It's like down the rabbit hole. It really is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry. Tom Young, the DA, he immediately objects to her as a witness. 
He's like, he stands up. He says, I told y'all I was going to object to this witness. He claims that he saw her listening at the courtroom door by the air vent to the previous testimony, which apparently you, you can't do as an expert witness. You're there to provide your testimony. You don't get to know any other facts of the case. Okay. You are just providing your testimony. And he claims he witnessed her eavesdropping on the case. She's like, no, I was standing there. You know, you could probably see me through the vent, but the air conditioner's right there. I can't, I couldn't hear anything going on okay. in here. I was standing there because the air conditioner's there. I mean, she's a middle-aged woman. She's hot. Yeah. Yeah. Give her a break, Tom. <laughs> and so the judge, you know, he's like, you know, no, we're, we're, we're keeping on going here, Tom. Tom is objecting to everything in this case. There's objection after objection from both sides. I mean, there is literally they can't get two sentences out together without one of them objecting to the other. Well, tell me what you think about this, Katie. But I mean, he probably felt like when the trial started, the count against him was already 0-2 because it's Tom Radney that he's going up against. And Tom Radney has a pretty good record for winning these kinds of cases in Tallapoosa County. Oh, yeah. Tom Young, I would think, has a lot of professional jealousy against Tom Radney. Yeah, he's he's... He knows the fastball's coming, and he's just trying to make sure he swings at it, Yep. to use a baseball analogy. Dr. Gunnels is a doctor. She has degrees in psychology, special education, and counseling. She's worked with the Birmingham Child Guidance Clinic, as well as the VA. She interviewed Burns three times total this summer for a total of six hours, so I guess two hours an interview. And she came to a conclusion that he was suffering from passive aggressive syndrome. That means he suppressed his anger, making him predisposed to explode after a big event, like the tragedy of his niece's murder. And she testified that he was incapable of avoiding what happened at the funeral home. Tom Young tried to implicate that she was nothing more than a school counselor. He literally said to this doctor, so doctor, we hear your credentials. So basically, you're a glorified school counselor, right? And she was like, no, sir. I have decades of experience as a clinical psychologist involving evaluating and treating everything from dyslexia to schizophrenia. And well, he, I mean, I guess you can't blame the guy for trying, right? Like I yeah, said, it's 0-2. Well, yeah, he's trying to discredit his witness. Yeah. And so when he can't discredit his witness because she has tons of credibility, he's just going to try to discredit psychology in general. He's like, well, what is psychology? Is it an art form? Is it a, is it a pastime? Like, what, what is psychology even? Can you even bet on psychology? Can you, and it, he even goes so far as to say, can you generalize that white people and black people act the same? Like, or can you diagnose them the same? Do you have to take into account their race? Since this is a black man, how can you even diagnose him? Wow. I, I can't imagine why this guy lost the election. Yeah. And then he goes into saying things about mouse labs and how you can defer from mouse labs to people. And she apparently ran a very successful mouse lab trial in her career. So she had all the evidence to back up anything he was throwing at her. So the guy didn't, I mean, the DA didn't do his homework at all, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. Well, yeah, not at all. Because the next thing he asks her (laughs) is, Uh (laughs) um, have you ever even given expert testimony? And she said, Many times, as a matter of fact, I've even given it for the state of Alabama. They've called me as an expert witness Mm -hmm. on separate cases. So that just proves that the DA's office has hired her to be an expert witness at times. So she's got enough credibility that the DA's office has hired her. Yes. So this this particular DA just woke up that morning and walked put on his tie, walked into a courtroom and 
with no prior research sitting on the table before him, proceeded to make an idiot out, shoved he his foot completely down his, he definitely down his throat. He took his asshole pills before yes, that. He did. <laughs> before this trial, because he was on full-fledged Explicit asshole. Explicit rating mode. again. I love it. Sorry. I mean, I'm pretty sure he just underestimated a woman. Like, yeah. like you know, everyone. Yeah, it was 1977. That That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. Good point. The next witness is Vera Burns. Like I mentioned, she testifies. That is Robert's wife. She just, you know, basically her testimony was that they were terrified of Willie and that Robert felt like their whole family, he was coming for their whole family and he was distraught over it. And she knew that he, she, he, she said he carried a gun with him everywhere. So he didn't carry it in her testimony specifically to, to murder anyone that okay. day. Okay. He just I wondered had about it. that because yeah. if you can establish that maybe he had a holster on his belt and he carried a gun all the time, that's one thing. But if... Yeah, he carried it with okay. him everywhere. So she this said, was this okay. was typical behavior. Yeah. Having the gun was was typical. Yeah, she said when she saw it, when she saw him put it in a suit jacket that day, she, she thought nothing of it. Well, goodness knows we love guns here in the state of Alabama, so you can't really uh, you can't really pin that on him. No, not even then. No. So ending statements come. Radney, you can basically boil his ending statement down to, you know, we know this happened, but. Who would have the reverend, reverend got next? That's what he says. And Young's statement basically goes, this isn't the wild and wooly west. He's the word wooly. Okay. Wild and wooly west. Like I said, he did not do his homework. Uh, this is Alexander City, not Lynch City. <laughs> so, and he's not even witty on top of everything else. No. So the judge says to the jury, you know, the question for you is, did Robert Lewis Burns unlawfully and with malice kill Willie J. Maxwell? And so the jury deliberates for 80 minutes to begin with, and they come back and they're like, hey, we're pretty sure we're going to be deadlocked. And the judge is like, no, no, it's too soon for y'all to know that. How about we get y'all some dinner? Bailiff, take their order, get them some dinner. That should help them. They come back about 9 o'clock that night, and they're like, you know, we, we still don't know. They send out a question that says, now, if we are to decide that, um, you know, he's not guilty by reason of insanity, what does that mean? What happens to him? What is he, what, where does he go? And then the judge is talking to the bailiff. He's like, well, he has to like give his answer out to court to see if the, the attorneys object to it. Okay. And so his answer is like, well, I, I would tell him that we send him to Bryce Hospital and that he's evaluated. And if he's deemed sane, he goes home. That's it. That's if he's the, deemed, that's the answer. If he's deemed, you know, insane, he is committed for however long until he's deemed sane. And both attorneys are like, no, we do not want you to give that answer. Okay. Radney's worried that the jury's going to see that as, you know, basically not guilty and that he is walking scot free. And Tom Young is worried that if inappropriate instructions are given, it, it could lead to a mistrial. That, that, that answer and knock that. And he's on the home stretch. He's almost got this one yeah. buttoned up. He doesn't want a mistrial. Right. So the judge wrote back that it wasn't proper for the jury to consider this in reaching their verdict, that they just... See, and I remember reading that, and I think that's total fucking bullshit, because why, if, if I'm supposed to have... If I'm supposed to decide a man's life, am I, if I'm going to be the final arbiter on whether this man lives or dies or walks free or goes to jail or in a mental institution for the rest of his life... I want to know what the consequences of my actions are. 
and I maybe we could have an attorney who knows more about this than I do answer that sometime. But I don't know why you wouldn't tell the jury everything they needed to know to get to the. Well, let's think about it like this. Uh, let's go back to the Judith and Neely trial. It would have been the same thing. Like, hey, if we find her guilty, what are you going to do to her? And if Randall Cole says, I'm going to sentence her to death. Do okay. I think some people would have said not guilty. I got you. Because that jury, right, that's a good point. The jury wanted her to, you know, be sentenced to, you know, life in prison. Life in and prison. Nicole was like, mm death. Right. And I don't know if that would have changed people's minds. Okay. Randy Fair Cole enough. probably knew the law in Alabama better than Bob James and decided <laughs> for sure did. at the time. Understatement of the year. We probably should give her the death penalty or she's going to be out in a few years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Possibly not. I don't know. You'll have to go back and listen to our very first episode if you haven't and want to know the details of what we just discussed. A little sneak peek. Um, the total deliberation from the jury took about five hours and they did reach a verdict. They come back and they find him uh, not guilty by reason of insanity. All right. I agree. So they send him to Bryce, the state mental hospital here in mm-hmm. Alabama. The state mental hospital, yes. Over in Tuscaloosa. And how long was he there? Well, let's talk about... Sorry, I didn't mean to get ahead. I was just curious because I don't know. Well, yeah, let's talk about what the doctors there thought. They just watching the trial and all, they did not agree with the diagnosis of any of the experts at the trial. You know, if you can remember, both the experts had different diagnosis. They, they didn't even mm-hmm. agree together on, on a diagnosis. And by this time, even Dr. Gunnels had come back and kind of recanted her diagnosis. And these are some direct quotes from her. Okay. Killing Willie was the sanest thing anybody did all summer. She, the doctor said that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I agree. That seems to be the consensus <laughs> in Tallapoosa County in the summer of 1977. I mean, I, I just, I, I'm sorry. I know these were not proven. I know these were not mm-hmm. proven. But, yeah, but it's, how convenient. How convenient. Every time. I know. That someone I, passed away, they ended up in the same spot. But where do you draw the line on vigilante justice? Uh, well, and I'm, not, and I'm not here to make a, just, a, a judgment myself. I'm just saying. I know. Why do you got? Why do you have the to hit devil's me with like that? on that? It, yeah, it is. Yeah, just devil's advocate. That's I all. understand. That is I the. Understand. I mean, that is the main question in this book. Yeah, yeah. really. It really is. Where, where do you draw the line on that? Uh, gosh, mm-hmm. she also says he was just doing what the law ought to have done sooner. Well, I mean, but that's what the jury thought. I don't want to. I don't want to drag the investigators and people, you know, through the mud. Um, the FBI guys, you know, were able to pull some information and find the, mm-hmm. you know, the the two witnesses who said yes, he he wanted me to help, and James Hicks's name was was mm-hmm. one of the the nephews on the list. But his death was was not ruled. It, it, I mean, so so do you do you go back to the corner? But then what's the corner? Is just. I mean, well, and factor this in. Factor this in. We talked about this in part one in the seventies, which was a product of the sixties and the fifties and the forties. There was there wasn't a lot of uh, concern about domestic violent crimes anywhere in this country, and in the state of Alabama and a lot of the South, there wasn't a lot of concern about black on black crime. No. You're so right, you're right. you got to fa- if you're gonna if we're gonna bake this whole cake, don't forget those two ingredients. You, you're right. You can't. Yeah, you can't do. That. Her final quote was, "Why well, I probably would have killed that man myself." <laughs> <laughs> I like this woman. <laughs> and there's an expert witness for you. No, that's that's ter- <laughs> That's not good for your case if no. if your expert witness is going back and making this. Case. Yeah, I'll do you it. You know, he's already been. You know. You- you can't and double mm-mm. double jeopardy. No appeals right? have been filed or anything. 
But it's up to the doctors at Bryce. I mean, none mm-hmm. of that should affect no, no, no. their evaluation. No, no, no. When they uh, get this yeah. man in front of them, it is a blank slate. Exactly. Yeah. And so, how and did that go at Bryce? <laughs> <laughs> he was released from the hospital after only a few weeks. Okay. Figured he that. spent less time in the hospital than the time that elapsed between the murder and the trial. Yeah, that doesn't shock me at all. Okay. So, well, I mean, honestly, I don't think he wasn't. I and think he I was think afraid. No one cared. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. no one cared. I, I think he was afraid. I think he was afraid he was going to keep doing this and he was going to keep getting away with it, whether he was using voodoo or just plain old, they yeah. don't have the evidence to. And I think that, that he made a decision to do that. I well, think he, you know. I'm holding a, an index card in my hand and I did this. I went back and listened to our first episode this afternoon and I wrote down the names of the six people that he was at least implicated in or at least suspected of having had mm-hmm. a, a hand in their deaths. And I didn't even write down uh, Dorcas Anderson's hus- husband, Abram. Yeah, it was always suspected that he had something to do. And you now know, Abram was so in the ca- hospital when he passed away. You know, count it seven. And maybe <clears throat> that's just the voodoo mystery that was surrounding the Reverend Maxwell when all of this is going on. But between 70 and 77, six or seven people very close to him end up in the cemetery. Mm-hmm. I can see the concern there. But again, where do you draw the line on vigilante justice? That's, you're right. You're right. I don't know. Well, that's it on this, though. Is that it? It is. And now, Scott, I'm really interested to know, how is this? What, what's this three-parter about? Well, can't oh, you guys... Oh, my goodness. Let's give a teaser. Can't you guys all see why one of the most prolific writers in the history of the state of Alabama, somebody who grew up within an hour or so of where all of this took place in Alexander City, might find this very interesting, especially if she'd had a thumb in the imprint that ended up being Truman Capote's famous uh, true crime novel, in Cold Blood. And who is this author you're speaking of? We are speaking of Nell Harper Lee, of course. Oh my goodness. I got cold chills. I know, me too. I love Harper oh, Lee. And that's part three next week, right? That's part three next week. Oh my goodness. Katie, thank you so much. Yeah, that was great, Katie. You know, I'm just pulling up the rear here. With, with no, I'm actually, that's group. actually me pulling up the rear next There's week. There's no one pulling up any rear. We're all equal <laughs> rears. In this We're all three show. assholes in this show. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening. Um, if you came here because you've been at a live show and you had to know the second part, welcome. Mm-hmm. Go follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, listen to us on whatever streaming platform you're currently at. Give us some reviews. Yeah, if we you give them. us a five-star rating, we don't know that you've done that unless you comment. So comment. Yes, do, yeah. do If do you're like, well. I don't, haven't got a shout-out, I gave you five stars, we can't see it. Yeah. I don't, yeah. And and listen, rest assured that we're not going to do this to you all the time. We're not, we don't have a bunch more three or four-parters down the pike. This was just something that presented itself to us that we felt like was a played out well this way. Right? Sure. Well, yeah. Why is nobody saying anything? The book, the book was It wasn't three my parts. idea. Or maybe it was. <laughs> Thank you guys. Have an awesome week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>